It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is CEO Russ Taylor. Russ is a dynamic businessman, leader in the tech space, and a born entrepreneur. As CEO, president, and founder of Fusion of Ideas, he leads the only American mobile integration company offering end-to-end mobile device branding experiences, in-house app development, mobile integration programs, and consulting for some of the largest brand names in the world. Russ is a graduate of Brigham Young University, where he studied advertising and marketing. Russ Taylor, welcome into the corner office. Thanks a lot, Brand. So excited to be here. <laughs> Great to have you here. Well, you know, we like to start these conversations uh, hearing a little bit about your early years. You know, where did you grow up, and uh, what was your family life like? Yeah, so I was actually born in Germany. My father served uh, in the Air Force, and it was uh, unfortunately I was there for about a year or two, so I don't uh, remember too much. Nor picked up a language, I guess. Yeah, nine. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I had the pr- primary opportunity to grow up out in Palmdale, California, so up in the high desert in Southern California. And so I uh, loved it there. It was uh, definitely a smaller town, and uh, uh, out in the desert, it got very hot. But I uh, had some great friends there and, and um, learned a lot through you know sports, through football and, and things like that. And, uh, and then obviously my parents teaching me uh, growing up. And so Yeah. Tell us about your parents. Dad was in the military then. Is that what took you to Germany? Yes, yeah, he was in the Air Force, and then uh, he got stationed out from there to Georgia, and then Southern California, and then we kind of ended up there um, from that point forward. Right, and, uh, right. He's actually. I think the, there's an air there's an air air base near Edwards. Palmdale, right? Yeah, Edward, of course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to go out there on the uh, lake bed and and uh, drive our cars kinda, <laughs> a, little, a little too fast. But. So that's where the Camaro came in, I guess. It, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did Dad retire with the military, or did he go into business? Uh, Afterwards, yeah, he he was only in the Air Force for for a few years, and then he's uh, he's in the insurance uh, industry now, and so yeah, he worked for Allstate for quite a few years, and now he's doing some freelance stuff for um, body shops and things like that. So got it. Did he go on to get his degree? Did he benefit from that in the GI service? Or? He did. Yeah, that was a huge benefit for him. He has he got his bachelor's, and he actually in the Air Force he was doing um, all the A10 Warthog laser guidance system. So it was a pretty cool, cool project for him to work on. Brothers and sisters? I have one brother and uh, he actually works with me at Fusion Ideas. Ah, so he's awesome. been a pivotal member of our team um, coming on with all of the production capabilities that we have and uh, now works as our enterprise director and kind of manages our larger kind of long-term accounts. And so cool. Younger awesome. brother? Younger brother. Yep. 
And mom, was she a professional or a stay-at-home? She was an incredible stay-at-home mom. So, um, which, uh, you know, being a father and uh, having two kids myself now, I, I totally appreciate all the, yeah. the uh, investment that she made in, in us and, and in our family. And she actually had a, in addition to, you know, being a stay-at-home mom, she was a, uh, had an in-home daycare uh, throughout, throughout growing up. So it was good for us because we also got the opportunity to, uh, you know, learn a little bit how to like, you know, raise kids and take care of them. So she put us, she put us to work uh, taking <laughs> care of the kids <laughs> after school. So <laughs> cool. Cool. What were some of the influences that you remember from mom and dad growing up? Some of the influences, I mean, I think, you know, my dad always taught me a, a really powerful work ethic of, of commitment and getting things done that you'll say you're going to do. And, um, you know, not really giving up on things. And so I've always appreciated that, you know, we went through some difficult times, I think with his jobs, trans, trans, uh, transferring over from one kind of role to another and things were tight. And I remember he was big into the model airplanes, the RC airplanes. He'd ah, fly around. Cool. Yeah, he's right. an incredible artist. I mean, he can build these things and they're so detailed. And that was like, that was one of his big things. That's his personal passion. And, I remember um, you and your brother go out there with him. I'm sure. Oh right? yeah, we'd go out all the time, and, and I got into the remote control cars. But I remember, you know, one of the things that really still stands out to me is that he had his like it was his favorite airplane. It was the Chipmunk. It was like the acrobatic, you know, plane, and he spent hours and on this thing building it and getting it all set up. And uh, for I got into the remote control cars, and I really wanted this specific RC car for Christmas, and it just wasn't going to work out for the finances. I remember he so he went and sold that plane mm. to get the money to get me and my brother some Christmas presents. So it was just a really cool thing, and I was just old enough to like realize that that actually happened. And uh, it was just one of those things that stood out to me of of putting obviously family first and the dedication that goes into that. So. Any other early influences in your life, uh, either people and or experiences? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously from from sports, from football, um, my coach, uh, Jeff Williams, was uh, one of the coaches, a bunch of coaches, obviously, but he was my football coach. And, um, you know, he was such a good guy. And, and seeing now, you know, looking back on it, I mean, he put a lot of dedication and time into that program. And, you know, growing up out in Palmdale, it's you know, sometimes a little rougher areas and kids, and it's kind of a tough area to grow up in. And, um, you know, and hot. I, I remember yeah. I played, I played, <laughs> I, I grew up on the coast, and I remember okay. going to Palmdale for a football game, coming off the bus, you know, at about 110 degrees. We didn't win that game. <laughs> that's right. You're, you're, you're in our territory. Right? That's right. That's right. Big difference between the coast and inland. <laughs> it was oh, my goodness. Our, one of our secret Secret tactics. weapons. Right, right. Now, did <laughs> but, you play all the way through high school? I did, yeah. I played on. I played football, baseball, basketball, uh, did track and field. I was actually cap, Captain Von Trapp in the, uh, in the high school musical ah, my senior you year. Too. Good for I you. Loved it. Wow. So, yeah. What about schoolwork? Were you a good student? You know, I was. I uh, I think I've always had this kind of entrepreneurial mindset that at least at least that we all tell ourselves that we have, right? And so I was like, oh, I'm going to run my own company and do this, you know, as an early age. So I always had a tough time with school because I was was kind of somewhere else. But I did well. I mean, obviously, my parents expected me to do well and 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 made, you know made sure that I did well and and I did actually well. I had a you know high GPA when I graduated. I went on to a junior college. I actually made it on the dean's list, which I was uh, surprised by. And, 
then, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I went on to, to BYU. And I think BYU was the tough one because I was actually running my own company at the time while I was in school and, and doing, um, we had a publication that we were doing. It was called Schooled Magazine. It went out to all the college students and it was all college life and this whole thing. And one of our first issues was uh, with Napoleon Dynamite. So John Hitt oh, and Peter sure. was on the cover. And, yeah. You know, we cool. actually, like, this is right after the, the hit came out. We actually got to do an, an interview with him and it was like our big issue. And so I was in, I was in that world and it was really hard for me to stay kind of focused on school. But my, my wife, Debbie, like she just made sure that I was going to graduate. <laughs> well, let's rewind a little bit. I want to get to more of your college years, but tell us about some of the entrepreneurial things you were doing when you were younger. Uh, paper route as a kid. Did you sell things at Christmas time? What was going on in the, you know, early elementary, middle school thing, uh, period at all? Yeah, you know, my my dad and my mom always kind of joke that uh, my brother was my biggest customer growing <laughs> up. <laughs> you know, I had uh, Hot Wheels, and so they they always joke that I would sell him Hot Wheels, or you know, he, he would give me Hot Wheels and I'd sell them back to him. <laughs> oh like gosh! So you know, that was always just kind of a family joke. But um, yeah, I mean, th- there wasn't really too much. I think um, really until actually I got back, I served in the LDS mission, and so. Um, it wasn't, wasn't until I got back from admission. I mean, I sold, I went and bought the box of, you know, candy bars from Costco and I was selling them at the Resum, basketball right. game. Sure, you know, and I sure. got in trouble from the school because they're like, hey, you can't do that. You're taking away from our concessions. And I'm like, oh, it's just made $50. You know? I love it. <laughs> so, Any jobs at all during high school or elementary oh, yeah. school? Yeah. What kind of jobs are you doing then? So I, uh, well, I started actually at a printing press company and I was in the back shed, uh, lining up collating paper. And that was my first job. And that was tough. How old, how old were you then? Uh, geez. I, I don't want to t- get the guy in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say below, below normal working yeah. days. Got it. Got it. He was a close family friend. So it was a summer job. I was like 15 or something like that. But, uh, so was yeah, that so kind of great. a 20, 30 hour a week thing that you were doing? Yeah. Yeah. I was like basically after school through the summer, stuff like that. And it was, it was awesome. Cause at that time being like, I think it was like 14 or 15, I was like making money. This is great. And then um, when I got 16, I actually started working at Blockbuster Video for anybody oh, who sure. still the remembers retail. that. <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, rewinding uh, VHS tapes and <laughs> all that stuff. And then uh, and then I got a job out at this new place opened up. It was called Funland USA. And I was like, I need a job there. And so I was the uh, worked over as like their party coordinator and throwing all the parties for the kids and had a good time with that. And then the go-kart. It was just like the perfect high school job to have, you know? <laughs> That's great. Now, were that was the money that you earned uh, kind of part of the deal to save that away for college, or was that pretty much uh, you know going towards racing the Camaro? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, I I obviously you know I was I had like a passion for cars and, and racing and stuff, but I didn't really get into that until you know after probably like twenty five or something like that. I would uh, my dad actually had a. Uh, Camaro and it was a 94 Camaro and he was uh, nice enough to let let me drive it and so we did a few uh, street races and some some stupid stuff that I shouldn't have done um, but uh, yeah it was, it was a good time though. So college uh, was that always kind of on your radar screen going through high school did you know you'd go there? Uh, you know, I think I always, I, I, I think I, I knew like, oh, I, I should go to college and I, and I, I, I think I, I need to go to college, but it was not something that was a priority for me. Um, you know, my, my dad, obviously he, he got a bachelor's degree. My mom did a little bit of college. And so it was definitely something on the radar, but I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go to college. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And, um, that kind of changed a little bit. I, like I said, I served my an LDS mission. And when I got back, I went to the local, um, it was the Antelope Valley, um, junior, yeah, junior college. And, 
And, uh, you know, just coming back from my mission, I was just like, I was like really enthralled with it. I, I was like hungered for, for learning. And then I kind of just tapered off and I was like, How, what is the kind of the point of all this? And so that was always my challenge is I always thought like, okay, what's the benefit? But looking back now, I'm, I'm glad that I went to college. Um, there's definitely some benefits of just general knowledge and just, I think a change of mindset of, you know, your skills and capabilities and the way you think. But, uh, it was definitely, it was a challenge for me because it wasn't something I was, I was focused on or a big goal that I had. So Russ, you grew up in the LDS church. So did yeah. you do your mission right out of high school? Uh, yeah. So I was 19, about a year after I graduated high school. Yeah, graduate. Um, I actually started my mission in Ecuador, in Quito, Ecuador. Yeah. So, uh, I did had, you speak Spanish before you went down there or was uh, it the, uh, the intensive that they gave you beforehand? Yeah. They, they put me through <laughs> the, uh, the, the course, the crash course of Spanish. I tried picking up as much as I could. And actually when I got there, uh, not only am I in this foreign country, but then I got sent out to, you know, this little place called El Carmen. And it was literally out in the jungle. There was one, one street that had a couple small little shops and then everything outside of that was literally bamboo huts and very, very, uh, different from my life and my companion, if you might know, there's usually a companion for the missions. Um, he was a hundred percent Ecuadorian and he had about as much English as I had Spanish. And so, uh, it was a very difficult challenge to get through that first couple months. And then actually I was there for about a year and I actually injured myself. I got a blood clot in my knee and in my leg. Um, so two blood clots almost died out there, which <laughs> would have been not fun. And, uh, then I came home, I got uh, released as a missionary. I was home for six months, got better. And then I went back out and finished in, uh, in, and uh, Florida actually did it in the U.S. Got it. Cool. Yeah. And then it was when you returned. That's when you decided to go to BYU. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, well, actually, BYU is a byproduct of my wife. I think <laughs> you, you did your CC first, though, right? And then went on, right? Yeah. Uh, my wife was up there, and she was gung ho on. She actually had a year left to finish until she graduated. So when we got married, um, a couple of years after I got back from my mission, I was just kind of along for the ride. I was like, all right, well, I'm up here. I might as well do something, go to school. So <laughs> how did you pick your major? So it's funny because the my major was tied in with actually I started my business. So when I got back from my mission is when I started my business. I, I think the I, I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad oh, by yeah. Robert Kiyosaki. And that book fundamentally changed my entire mindset on what what I wanted to do because I, I was always how so tell us a little bit about that. So I think you know coming back from my mission, I think my main objective was like, okay, I'm going to get a really good job, and I, I want to get married, and I want to have you know my family, and that was the things I I know I wanted. Um, but then reading through that book, I, it was just, had my mind open to the mentality of, of, you know, kind of being an employee and, and just going through that process, which there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Um, but I had my mind open to just a different possibility that I really wasn't even aware of before. And so that was kind of the first step that I took. And after reading that book, I said, okay, what do I want to do? And at the time I was actually working at the uh, Marriott. I was working at the residence inn at the front desk in Palmdale, California. And uh, every time people come up, Hey, what's a good restaurant to go to? What's a good restaurant? And so I was like, what would be a good thing? And so I actually decided to, my brother and I started 
uh, this company where we were going to, which actually the fusion of ideas version one. And we went uh, to, around to other hotels and got them to get contracted to house what we would call our restaurant directory. And then once we had the contracts from the hotels, we then went to the restaurants and said, Hey, you know, there's a definitely a market. And this is before smartphones and Facebook and Yelp and everything, right? Um, back in 02 and 03. And so I went around to all the, the restaurants and we signed up like, you know, Red Lobster and Olive Garden and actually got some really good traction. And we built this really nice um, binder that with the restaurants, their location. And then we had that in the front uh, desk of all the hotels. Ah, and so cool. that's kind of where everything started, actually. And so the original I, app. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the original Yelp. The original um, Yelp, right, right. So we did that for about a year, and then I got married, and then I actually moved on to uh, Provo, Utah, and so we kind of just phased that out. But that was what helped me. I was like, I loved the the whole engagement with the customer. I loved the marketing and the advertising kind of world. And then my wife, actually, she was already in that program, and she was kind of talking it up. And I was like, this just seems like the natural fit for me. And and then I went uh, into the advertising marketing program. Got it. Cool. So started the business while you were there. So I guess the first job coming out of BYU was Fusion of Ideas, correct? Um, yes and no. So my my first job, you know, being married, it was like, okay, all of a sudden this reality sticks everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be supporting here, right? Exactly. We didn't have kids yet, and we had kind of the our, – our time was to kind of wait a little bit before we had kids. And so that was kind of a nice little um, time for us to get ourselves set up. But uh, my first job was actually working at Wonder Bread. <laughs> oh, are you kidding? Oh, this yeah. is right out of school. Yeah. So I, I actually – I interviewed at the Missionary Training Center, and the guy was – you know, I'm sitting in the interview and he said, hey, well, if you work really hard, you can get a 10 cent raise every six months. And I was like, say what now? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. And I'm in like a shirt and tie, like ready for this. And I'm like, this is not for me. So my, <laughs> my buddy lined me up with Wonder Bread and it was making like $18 an hour to like basically delivery and setting up at all the, at the grocery stores. And so that was so my that first was job. Truck, truck delivery. Right. Uh, it was in my car actually. So I would go, car. yeah, I'd go <laughs> out to the Wonder Bread factory and I'd load up my car with uh, up loaves of bread and I'd just drive all around Utah and then kind of replenish and stuff. And this is going out at three in the morning to get out to, to you know, in the snow and the whole deal uphill both ways. <laughs> wow. So you weren't selling per se. It was really no. delivery. Yeah. Delivery it was just to delivery clients. and the, the stocking, that whole process. And then I was doing that for a little while. And actually, at the same time we moved up there, um, we got a magazine on our doorstep at our apartment. It was called Schooled Magazine. And so this publication was actually started by a couple. And I saw in the magazine that they're looking for an advertising director. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. It's a cool magazine. Like, I, I have free time because I work at, you know, from 3 a.m. to like 7 a.m. And I'm done. I don't have anything else to do. And so I was I'll give them a call. And so I give them a history and kind of what I've been doing. And, and I got set up and I started doing all their ad sales. And then for the next uh, year and a half, I did, I was their advertising director and I sold all the ad space. And then uh, from there, um, we bought the publication actually about, <laughs> about a year after we started doing it. And uh, my wife and I took, kind of took over everything and then we went from there. And so we just totally. So was that the, that was the first time you started managing people then? Yeah. You bought over the business. Yeah. 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 So how big was the team at that time when you took that business over? So we had a core staff of probably about six people. So we had our editor, our lead designer, lead photographer, and then we had probably 30 to 50 um, on on and off students that was uh, writing Part for time, us, photography and things so like forth. that. Yeah. And so it was neat. It was a really unique opportunity because for us, you know, we were – 
you know, engaging with students who were in these different programs. And so for them, it was a huge benefit to get their work published in, in an actual magazine. And uh, that was a, that was a really just awesome experience. How has that transition, Russ, from, you know, kind of being an individual contributor, working for someone else and then buying this business and, you know, then all of a sudden having employees, was that difficult for you or was it kind of a natural transition to take over the, you know, the direction of those five, six employees? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, uh, it was just like, I felt like, okay, this is my calling. Cause you know, even in like the college side, you know, like anytime we would have to do group projects, I would just, I would kind of be the group leader and I'd put all the pieces together and I didn't really do the work. I was like, this is nice okay. actually, yeah, you know, good. I have them and I'm just kind of helping pull these pieces together. So it was, uh, it was something that just kind of, I felt a like natural, suited natural progression. Yeah. And yeah, I, I thrived, I thrived on it actually. Yeah. Awesome. What were some of the early management uh, experiences you had uh, once you bought that business? Oh man. So, I mean, I think one of the challenges was the college students, right? The mentality of a college student and, you know, availability and kind of working through <laughs> scheduling and, and just all dependability those, exactly, sure as well. You know, right, expectations. Right. Hey, we needed you to be here for this photo shoot and things like that. But, uh, you know, we just, we just dealt with it and we had a lot of, we had backup people to support that and, and things like that went into that. And we actually did quite a few events. So we threw some big events out in, uh, in the area and they were either partnering with our, uh, advertisers, um, either at their locations. And so that was just a, a little bit of a challenge too, of getting a team in place to help with that. And, and that was difficult. It was like finding other people to kind of do what I was doing. So did this business then evolve into a fusion of ideas? So it kind of always was fusion of ideas. So I, you know, I started with the, the restaurant directory that was fusion of ideas. And then we set up in, uh, in Utah and, and I started, you know, fusion of ideas, like kind of in, in Utah and set up the company and the legal side of it and got it all set up. And then schooled magazine was just kind of a DBA that we were doing. Got it. So that came under the auspices of that. And then, you know, you obviously sounded like you took to managing people. Well, how would you say, if anything, your, your management style has evolved over the years now that you've got a larger organization, obviously what a couple hundred employees now, what's, what's your total uh, staffing? We, we fluctuate um, depending on projects that we have going on with clients and, you know, we'll be anywhere from 50 to a hundred usually. Right. Cause you've got people that are coming in co- contractors, contractors and yeah, different projects. Um, you know, I think it's changed where I have um, at least I've tried to have more confidence in people and allowing them and empowering them to do certain things. You know, I think all through, everything with our publication that we were doing and even the beginning of my, my company that, that we kind of fast forward, we can talk to talk about in a minute, but um, you know, w- with this change is just, I can't be the person that's doing everything. That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, now where we're at, you know, we have an incredible team of people, managers, and I, I'm thrilled. It's, it's actually now it's something I'm looking at. I was like, wow, this is super rewarding to see this group of people doing what I had inside of my mind and the vision that I had and that I was trying to kind of stumble through, you know, they're taking this and and just going with it and doing it better than I could have. And that's the exciting part. Very, very satisfying. Imagine. How do you decide if it's time to micromanage or when do you stay out of the sandbox? Yeah. I mean, I've, um, you know, I think that's probably been one of my weaknesses, I think is, is looking at what, when is that point? Because I want to, give the person the benefit of the doubt and let them be inside of their own environment. Um, you know, I've only had a, probably a handful of times where I've had to like really come in heavy and say, this is what you're doing. 
here's the plan and here's exactly what I want you to do. And I want you to check back with me every week. We, we work really closely with uh, Apple. Um, mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. have now for 10 plus years. And one of the guys that we had that was our enterprise um, rep uh, on our side, you know, he was kind of all over the place with different things, initiatives. And, and we were starting to see kind of the, the pain from that because there wasn't focus. And so I had to just sit down with them. I gave them a very specific plan. And like I said, walked them through, this is what you need to do. And did that person get back on the straight path? Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. And it worked. And so, you know, we were able to see a lot more engagement with the Apple enterprise teams and, and how we worked with the, the, the clients that came from that. And so it was great to see that. Russ, talk to me a little bit about, you know, kind of your thoughts on building a company culture and the importance of that. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. So where where we're at now, we've transitioned a, a lot, <laughs> you know, from the restaurant directory to a publication. Um, well, you had retail one and time, we had right? Retail, yeah. And so that's, 12, now, now you're not more B two B, right? Yeah, <laughs> and and in fact, we started in a kiosk, and so uh, we were actually right across the street or the hallway, I should say, in, in the mall here at the Irvine Spectrum from the Apple Store, and then we got into a retail store, and so. I think it's been a challenge for me because our model has has adjusted and shifted. Now we have a 26,000 square foot facility. You know, we have, you know, up to 100 employees. And so we're engaging with the largest brands in the country. And so it's we've I think we've finally been able to kind of get to a position to where we we can understand what our culture is. Um, but it's shifted so much. And so it's it's been a little bit of a challenge for me because before everything was on my shoulders. And so I was just go, 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 go. And now over the last, you know, eight, eight or so years, it's really been starting to diversify that and, you know, giving the culture to our managers and the people that are running our departments and empowering them to be the ones that, you know, are owning the quality of, you know, some of the customization that we do. Like we, we were the only company that can do a full color print that's permanently bonded on to an iPad and, and the branding capabilities that, that we've seen with the you know thousands of clients that we've done huge high profile brands. If we don't have the attention to detail to that, you know, brands like Audi or Coca-Cola or Hilton, it, it, we're just going to get dropped like a bad transmission. And so what I've been thrilled to see is that my team has taken that same level of kind of attention to detail quality and, and and capability to continue to create and they've expanded that and that's what again is so rewarding to me what would you say is unusual or perhaps unique about your culture at fusion of ideas when i look at i think probably the thing that's most unique is that our managers are sometimes first time managers mm-hmm. <laughs> i mm-hmm. think in, in just about all the scenarios with exception to a few key roles, um, like our CTO and our director of operations, um, our managers, this is kind of the first time that they've had the opportunity to be managers. So we're a young company. And pretty young, right? You yeah. Taking fresh out of college or a few years experience. What are your yeah. hiring criteria? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a combination of that. And, and so, you know, I think that that's been Initially, it was, it was, I think, a little bit of a pain point for us because we had certain expectations that these people needed to do. Um, but what's been really neat is that we brought on an HR director and we've brought on a director of operations. And those people have helped us to craft that culture and to craft the ability for these managers to thrive and to expand their capabilities. And so, and we've seen that, you know, over the last, I think, three years specifically, we've really put a lot of time into our managers, to our people, um, you know, the kind of the, the, the enjoyment of being an employee of Fusion of Ideas. 
and uh, and we've seen that change as well. So it's well, you're really building for the long term, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about what you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in. Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, it's it's a little bit of a unique thing for us because the a lot of the roles that we have are they're very unique to our yeah, company. Probably people haven't done them before. Exactly. Right? Other companies. So, yeah. You know, yeah. if we take how do you hire against that? That's exactly. Good. Yeah. So you know, we'll take one example is you know in the whole production facility side of things where we're taking a, you know, sometimes thousand dollar iPad, we're putting into a machine that in a split second is going to explode it, you know? So, so it's like, how do we find somebody that's going to be able to jump in where nobody else really does this particular thing? And so we've tried to find um, people that are in those environments. You say like have in parallel industries. Exactly. Perhaps. Similar yeah, skill yeah. sets and things like that. But then we have the expectation that we're going to have to spend a lot of time to train this person and to educate them. And so we come in. So you really do invest in them. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and so, you know, that's that's the expectation that we've had. So when we're hiring somebody, we want to make sure that they have, you know, I think a, a general skill set and an ability to learn, obviously, and, and that they're excited about what we do as a company because it is unique, right? It's not like, oh, hey, we're just a T-shirt printing company and come here, we'll throw you in the back and just push button on this printing press. You know, we're involved with some of the most, the most significant brands in the world as they roll out and integrate iOS and mobile technology. And so I think people that are, are part of our team are attracted to that. You know, we're, we work with and partner very closely with Apple and have for 10 plus years now. Uh, we're set up within Best Buy as a um, you know, a, a partner, preferred partner with them and are partnering with them on their conversations and they're leveraging our services and solutions in their customer conversations. And so, you know, I think that's hopefully something that's really attractive to the people that come to be part of our team. Russ, how do you personally interview and hire? You know, I think uh, it's probably been one of my weak points, honestly. Um, I think just because my mindset is I'm going to do this and I'm just going to keep pushing ahead. And so I've been very fortunate to have um, a combination of my wife, who's very meticulous at like the interview questions and a lot of these she She works in the business. She is. Yeah. She actually is our COO and uh, she's the one who kind of keeps me in line for (laughs) for everything. I know how that feels. Yeah. (laughs) No, but it's awesome. But you know, she comes from a great, great level of experience that she had when she, when she wasn't working. She's only worked with Fusion Ideas now for the last few years. Um, And she had a bunch of other roles while I was doing all of this stuff, she was doing some things and she learned an incredible amount of experience. And so she helped a lot um, first. And then, as I mentioned, we brought on an HR director who, basically kind of conducts now all of those first interviews and where I'm at luckily now at this stage is I only have a few key people that I have reporting to me and and those people do an exceptional job at at the interview process and picking people and and I think my my main role now is just making sure that I empower them to make that choice right and and know that once they make that choice of the person they're going to pick from they're going to have to spend the time to invest in training and effort and support and everything else that goes into that so well i'm sure from time to time too some of your direct reports have people that they're hiring maybe it's a key sales position a key ops position that you know they want to kind of have your blessing on but you know maybe you only have a few minutes with them but what do you probe for you know what kind of questions would you ask if you just have a limited amount of time with someone. So some of the things I think I usually will, will position to people is really just trying to define and understand the character of the person. Um, you know, because again, we have, especially if you talk about for sales roles and positions and things, you know, we're, we're working with the largest and most significant company in history, right? Apple. 
And so the people that are going to be interfacing and, you know, in contact with, you know, our networked relationship that we have, I need to make sure that I'm confident and comfortable in them. And so I'm usually catering. Those are the mainly primary focus of my questions is, you know, how are they going to act? How do they carry themselves? And are they in this for just a paycheck? And obviously everybody needs to get paid or they actually really passionate about what we do as a company. And so my, I'll usually ask people like, what do we do as a company? I'll ask them that. And if they can't at least give me what my website says, then I'm, <laughs> I'm not yeah. even interested. Have it done their homework. Yeah, exactly. And so that's usually one of the first things. If they can confidently explain to me what it is we do, and then I'll pose a question of, well, why do you want to be here? What, what What's attractive to you? And then I listen and I just want to pay attention to what, what it is that they're saying. Because if they're just like, oh, you know, I've been out of work for the last six months and I need something, then you're not the fit for us, right? Now, you've mentioned Apple a couple of times. Obviously, that relationship's important. But tell us a little bit about what you think are some of the key characteristics that your team has to have in their interface with Apple. In other words, what are the you know char- characteristics or the qualifications that makes that relationship successful? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, this, this all kind of started with, with me, you know, and, and I was, uh, and I'll tell a quick story. We, we started customizing iPod touches when the first iPod touch came out and the client was Vans, the shoe company. And, and they bought five iPod touches and they said, Hey, we, we want to have you guys customize these. And so we did the design. They actually chose my design that I did, which I was like, Hey, that's pretty cool. And it was a checkerboard pattern. And we gave them to the client. The CEO of Vans said, "Oh my gosh, this is like the you know Vans edition iPod Touch. I want I want everybody to have some for this Triple Crown of Surf event." And so that project became 250 devices. And at the time for Apple, that was a huge win for them. And so that project got pushed throughout the entire Apple network, all the Apple business teams across the country. And then the next thing I knew, I'm getting you know out to Chicago and New York and Florida and all these other areas to meet with the Apple business teams and to share with them what it is that we do. And so for about five plus years, I was on the road almost every week, meeting with these teams, showcasing what we do, building our, our company. And, you know, I have a firsthand experience of what it takes. And so, you know, between the teams that I have now, the people that I have in place, the expectation is that they're going to fulfill their commitments. I think that's probably one of the most significant pieces is that if they say they're for exactly. And I think that was one of the things that uh, I've got feedback from Apple is that they loved is that, you know, if I said, I'm going to get something to them back in two days, or if it's going to get fulfilled at this time, or we're going to do 150 of these devices, it always got done no matter what. Under promise over deliver. Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Totally. And so, You know, and that's how we have built through organically, you know, because we don't have any formal agreement in place with Apple. This has just been an organic relationship that over the last 10 years has evolved. And it's because the commitments that we're making, the attention to detail and the quality that I kind of spoke about earlier on what the finished product looks like, because we're taking their product and then we're putting a customer's brand on that. And if it comes out sloppy, and the customer goes back That's to a poor reflection on exactly, you. and they complain to Apple. Then the Apple teams can say, eh, "Maybe we won't send any more, you know, uh, engagements because these guys keep messing this up." And are so, you the sole supplier for them on that, or do they have others that they work with? So when it comes to yeah, the capabilities that we do, uh, yeah, well, there's there's not really anybody else that does does Fantastic. that. And so it's an incredible spot for us to be in right now for our company. Yeah. 
Russ, you've been very generous with your time. I've got one last question that we'd yeah. like to ask all the CEOs. What, what career and life advice would you give to someone who's got their eyes on the corner office or, in your case, wants to be an entrepreneur and, and be successful and build a company? I think just kind of start where you are, <laughs> I think, is the key. Um, you know, I think if, if I looked back, uh, geez, 15, 16 years ago, you know, we started a company in 2002. If I looked back and and I was sitting in the hotel, you know, lobby, working at the front desk at, <laughs> right, at the Marriott, right. getting ready to start this little restaurant directing, and I said, "Oh, you know, I'm going to have a multi-million dollar uh, inter- integration technology company, and we're going to support and work with Apple." I don't even think I could have envisioned, envisioned that. that. And so I think sometimes people get so caught up in, "Oh, this is what this person's doing, and that's what that person's doing," and that's great. That's good to have you know, a, a, a somewhat of a vision of what you would like to do, but everybody is going to have their own perspective and their own kind of path to go through. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's start, start where you are, you know, have, find something that you're passionate about and start a company and start a business and then grow it and put your time, your effort, your, your, your integrity, everything into what it is that you're doing. And then let, let, let kind of time evolve you and, and come out the other side. And as you make commitments, keep them. Yeah. As you make commitments, keep them. As you find opportunities to network with people, build relationships with them and, and grow those relationships and seek for opportunities to add value to people. Don't just seek for money because that's the, that's the last thing that you should be paying attention to. And I think where I've seen, I think probably the single-handedly most um, significant relationship it was with Apple, right? And we have an, a, a pretty incredible claim where we're at right now. And, and you know, Fusion of Ideas as a company, you know, we're not a national brand. You know, people probably haven't heard of us and that's okay. But we have an incredible relationship with Apple within Apple because we, we've invested in the relationship and we've sought to bring value to that relationship before we've sought a paycheck or a PO from a, from a client or from, from them. And that's where I think we've been most successful. And so people love when you bring value to a conversation, they don't love when you come in and you're just trying to sell something to them. Russ Taylor, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.